Good morning. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor here. So good to have you with us this morning. We're in a series uh, in the book of Proverbs looking at wisdom. And you missed the really exciting one last week. Just going to have to leave you in suspense. Uh, But today we're actually going to build on some of what we said last week, right? Last week, uh, I want you to remember this, that one of the things I mentioned was that the, the wise life, that with living a wise life is learning freedom within form, right? That, that just like a train is most free when it runs on its tracks, so we are most free when we live as we are designed to. And that's what we talked about last week when we talked about our sexuality. Why sexuality? That when, when we live the way that we are designed, that is where we experience the most freedom. That is where we experience the most joy. And it's when we leave the tracks that it causes the most havoc. And we talked some about that last week. Um, this week, um, we're going to connect to that. And we're going to talk about the wisdom of marriage uh, and so last week we talked about the beauty of sexuality and that its places within marriage. This week we're going to talk more about what Proverbs has to say about marriage. Now as we read some of these passages, I just want to point out uh, there are going to be several, and I've listed them on the, they're on the screen, um, but we're going to kind of be jumping through the book of Proverbs and looking at various places. You've also got a list in your bulletin, but um, hopefully that helps you to not, to not get lost I'm going to read several. A few notes to make. One, to the women, I want you to remember that I read, as I read these, that the original audience for the book of Proverbs was young men, uh, particularly young men who were preparing for marriage and leadership, okay? And so uh, Proverbs, when it talks about marriage, addresses primarily wives, But I don't want you to hear this as simply directed at you if you are a wife. The same things, and this is how we're going to look at it, the same things apply equally to husbands. right? So, for instance, when we read a proverb that talks about a quarrelsome wife, that doesn't mean that husbands get a free pass, right? That a a combative or quarrelsome husband is equally as damaging to the marriage. Right, and that the health of a marriage is equally the responsibility of the husband as it is the wife. So that's uh, one note. Uh, the second note is that if you are single, if you're uh, not yet married but are seeking to be married, um, some of these things may seem like a mystery to you. It's a mystery to those of us who are married as well. But um, I want you to hear these things as what to look forward to or what to look for in a spouse. And then finally, for all of us, I just want you to remember that um, Proverbs paints an ideal picture. Right? What, the, what Proverbs does is it tells us the way that things ought to work. And we know, though, that because we live in a fallen world, that things do not work the way that they ought to. Uh, and so uh, when we listen to these Proverbs, um, the tendency might be to bludgeon yourself. Right to, to to kind of do a woe is me, or to bludgeon your spouse. Didn't you hear what the preacher said? He told you you needed to be this way, right? And we don't want to do either one of those things. That's not what the word of God is for. Um, 
what, what these should help us do is reflect uh, on what they mean for you as a husband, what they mean for you as a wife, uh, and how you can contribute to a wise marriage. So uh, with those things said, let's give our attention to God's word. I'm going to start reading in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and then I'll let you know kind of where we're going from there. Wisdom, pursue wisdom so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Proverbs 12:4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Proverbs 14:1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Proverbs eighteen twenty two: he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 21, 9, it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live, uh, verse 19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Proverbs nineteen thirteen, A foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. And then Proverbs 31, the very last chapter. We're going to look at several verses here. Starting in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find... She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. And then verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look at this most personal uh, and most crucial of human relationships, we pray uh, that you would give us your insight, that you would teach us wisdom, guide our hearts, that we might uh, honor you. For those of us who are married in our marriages, Lord, for those of us uh, who are not married but seeking to, uh, Lord, that um, that we would know what to look for. And Father, for those... Um, who were married at one time, uh, maybe widowed or widowers, Lord, help them to mentor the rest of us on what a wise marriage is. Uh, Lord, would you apply your word to us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard all that flipping around of pages. That was good. I'm surprised you kept up. All right. Uh, so... The way that the rest of this series in Proverbs will go is, is just like this. We're going to take several verses 
Uh, and you may remember that at the beginning of this series, I talked about how, how looking at wisdom is kind of like mining for treasure or mining for precious stones, right? You, you, you go down and you dig one up and, and then you, you have to bring it out and you have to examine it. And so you, you clean it off and you put it under a good light and you, you just keep turning it over and over and over in your hands, looking at all the different facets. And that's how we're going to look at marriage today. We're going to kind of pull this gem of marriage out of the mine of Proverbs, and we're going to look at some of its different facets. Now, we're not going to be able to say everything there is to say about marriage, um, but hopefully this is at least the beginning of a good conversation on the topic. And so we're going to look at three things that a wise marriage is. And the first one we're going to look at is that a wise marriage is built on promises. Wise marriage is built on promises. So uh, turn with me to Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. This, of course, is a a negative um, warning against the uh, the adulteress, but there's a couple of things in here that are important for us to see. Uh, One, in verse 17, we are told that the adulteress forgets the covenant of her God. She forgets the covenant. So that tells us that marriage is a covenant. What in the world does that mean? What is a, what is a covenant? What's a covenant relationship? Well, a really simple answer is it's a relationship built on promises. We might say vows. That's what a covenant is. Uh, one party and another promising uh, faithfulness to each other. That's a a covenant. And actually the whole of the Bible is structured with covenants, God making these promises to his people. Uh, And so marriage is a covenant relationship. It's a relationship built on promises. Now, when I marry uh, young couples, it's often that that they talk about their present love for each other, right? We often, when we think about a wedding, you know, what gets us, well, maybe not all of us, but what gets us all kind of gushy and warm and fuzzy is, you know, these two, two cute little lovebirds and their affection for each other. But if you listen to the language in a wedding, it's actually not about the present love of that couple. A wedding uh, Pastor Tim Keller says is actually about not present love, but future love, right? It's about the promises uh, that we make to one another at a wedding that secure the future of the relationship. So um, that's why, you know, I like the traditional vows, uh, not just because I like old things, but because it, it paints a perfect picture of what we're talking about here, right? Uh, in sickness and in health. In plenty and in want, right? So rich or poor, uh, in joy and in sorrow, as long as we both shall live. Those are the promises that we make in marrying each other. What are we promising there? What are we saying? We're saying, I'll be there. Regardless of what happens, I'll be there. Uh, Whether we make a lot of money or we don't, I'll be there. Right? Your body won't always look like that, and mine won't always look like this. In sickness and in health, I'll be there. Right? I'll be there all the way to the end. Now contrast that with our, our modern perception of relationships, how we tend to treat our relationships uh, in, in the modern era. Right? You make me happy, so I want to be around you more. 
Now, happiness is good. We like happiness in marriage. We're pro-happy marriage, okay? Marriage should not be a, a dull, lifeless thing. Uh, but if that is... If, that, if, the, if the feeling of happiness is, that, is what your marriage rests on, what happens when happiness goes away? Right, what, we're, we're such fickle creatures. Right? What makes me happy today is likely to irritate me tomorrow. Or what happens when your happiness trespasses on my happiness? Right? When, when what you want gets in the way of what I want. What do we do then? Well, in our, in our modern conception, the relationship is discardable. Right? We throw it away when it no longer benefits us. And so we kind of enter into marriage something like a, a, a business contractual arrangement that as long as one side is is benefiting the other as long as i'm getting some benefit out of this relationship then we're good but as soon as i cease to receive some benefit from it we're done and so uh, we don't like what we see we run the other way and eventually what happens right is that we just kind of run from relationship to relationship and search for a a fantasy, happiness, uh, intimacy that just never seems to last. How does, how does a wise marriage, how does a, a, a relationship built on promises change that? Well, I can think of a couple of things. One, uh, we talked last week about intimacy within marriage. How does, how does the promise of marriage that I'll be there regardless, I'll be there forever, not forever, uh, I'll be there until the end, how does that Help us in intimacy. Intimacy grows deeper and richer in the safety of promises, does it not? Right? A, a covenant says that I see the real you and I know the real you and I'm not going anywhere. And what that does is that gives us the safety to be vulnerable. That gives us the ability, as uh, talks about in Genesis 2, the first man and the first woman were naked and unashamed. They had no reason to be afraid of each other. That's what a relationship built on promises does. It secures us so that we can actually grow in intimacy, right? Promises also help us grow in maturity. Think about it. If I, if I always run away... When my desires are challenged, then I shrivel as a person. Right? I become this kind of self-absorbed man-child who only ever will do something as long as I get my way, as long as, I, as long as I have it the way that I want it. But if I have a wife who promises to love me through that and in spite of that, then that changes me. Right, that transforms me. It grows me. So promises, uh, a, a relationship built on promises, actually provides that fertile soil in which we can grow. Uh, and if we don't make those promises to each other, uh, then, uh, then we're, we're left kind of with you know, just running from relationship to relationship. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, a pastor in our uh, at a sister church of ours, he talks about the difference between union and communion. All right, so union is that 
unbreakable bond of a relationship. We are united together. We've made promises to each other, right? That's the, that's the foundation. Communion is that, is that ebb and flow, right? The sense of like, we're close, now we don't feel as close. We're close, now we don't feel as close, right? So union and communion. And we typically, or maybe in our modern conception, we want to we wanna base a relationship on the, on the communion. How do I feel about you right now? Um, but then, uh, when those feelings begin to wane, we begin to say, oh, my marriage is a wreck. I don't even know if I can do this anymore. Right? And over time, some of, those, some of those highs get really high and some of those lows get really low. And eventually, we get tired of, of being pulled and pushed, maybe like a rubber band, and eventually we wear out. But if we base our relationship instead on union, this idea of promises that we've made to one another... Uh, till death do us part, well, then that gives communion the freedom to ebb and to flow. Because, again, when communion dips low, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. Uh, and that gives us the freedom then to enjoy uh, communion when it spikes again and, in, and even makes it deeper. So a wise marriage is built on promises. Um, but there's more. A wise marriage is also like a good friendship. Look again at 2.17 where it says uh, that she left the companion, your, um, I don't know what your translation says, but the friend of her youth, right? The, this idea, this companion, uh, partner, confidant, close friend, right? The, the word hints at, at sharing and getting to know each other over time. There's vulnerability there. Marriage is a friendship. That means there's shared, uh, shared sense of purpose, shared intimacy. Again, if you look back in Genesis 2, the only thing, after, after Genesis 1 says repeatedly, it was good, in Genesis 2, we see that something is not good. And what does God say is not good? It is not good that man should be alone. And so what does God promise to do? He says, I'll make a helper fitted to him. I'll make someone who complements him, who completes him, right? A companion who can go with him side by side. And then he parades all the animals in front of the man. And it says this, there was not, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So, fellas, a dog is not man's best friend. Okay, Genesis 2 is pretty clear. Who is man's best friend? The wife. God creates a woman out of man and gives her to him. That's why Proverbs 18.22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is a friendship. It's a, it's a side-by-side relationship. Now, the Bible also teaches that the man bears the responsibility of leadership in the marriage and in the home. Right? It talks about things like submission. But that does not mean that a wife is beneath her husband, that she is less in dignity than he is. Right? Both are the image of God. And the Bible never commands a husband to control his wife. In fact, what we see in the New Testament... In Ephesians 5, for instance, 
Paul instructs husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificially, giving his life for her. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, to honor your wife, live with her in an understanding way. So marriage is a, is a friendship. Yes, the husband is the head of the marriage and the home, but it is still a side-by-side friendship. Men, do you view your wife as your friend? Ladies, do you view your husband as your friend? What are the elements of friendship present? A couple of thoughts here. Uh, we are called um, God. God designs us to partner. God designs you to partner with your spouse, not parent your spouse. Right? You are, you are the partner to your spouse, not her parent, not his parent. Your marriage is more important than your children. It's, it's, it's not uncommon, right, for as children leave home, uh, if, if all of, particularly if all of mom's energy has been poured into the kids, then it's, it's not a shock, really, that when the kids leave home and the nest is empty, that all of a sudden we have two people looking at each other like, who are you and when did you get here, right? So uh, let me just tell you now, particularly if you're young in marriage, that your marriage is more important than your children. In fact, a healthy marriage provides the soil in which healthy children grow. So don't neglect your marriage for the sake of your children, because what you actually end up doing is neglecting your children in that case. Right? Focus, focus on the health of your marriage, and your children ideally will grow healthy as well. Marriage is a good friendship. What else does marriage look like? Marriage is also a supportive partnership. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. See the contrast there, right? What is a, what is a crown? A crown is a very public, very visible sign of dignity and honor and glory uh, versus rottenness in the bones, like a, a wasting disease that saps a man's strength and vitality and ability. Right, what's, what's Solomon telling us here? Right, that, that your spouse, and again, ladies, I know it's dr- addressing a wife, but it's just as true of a husband, that uh, a bad husband can be like a wasting disease in your bones, right? That your spouse can be your greatest enemy or your greatest ally, right? There's something about the closeness of that relationship, uh, the vulnerability of that relationship, that if you don't have that support, it undermines everything else that you do. Uh, we were talking in our staff meeting what we do on Mondays of every week is we look at the passages for the coming Sunday and we talk through them. And one of the things that we, that we talked about, particularly for men, uh, there, are, there are two voices for men that carry more weight than anyone else's typically. One is dads. And there's, there is many a man who is pursuing 
his father's approval even after his father is in the grave. Right? There's something about the voice of a dad that speaks very powerfully to the heart of a man and to the heart of a woman. But then next to that, the next voice that speaks most powerfully to the heart of a man is the voice of his wife. And so, ladies, would you consider, is the way that you speak to or about your husband, is it like a crown or is it like rottenness in his bones? Are you undermining his strength and vitality and dignity in the way that you talk about him? Uh, In the way that maybe you honor him on the one hand, but then uh, cut him down on the other. And the same is true uh, for husbands. Gentlemen, do you honor your wives the way Peter tells you to? Right? Do you take special opportunity? Uh, I know for me, um, my, my gifts are not in the area of affirmation. Right? I'm not particularly good at coming alongside people and saying, hey, good job, well done. I'm kind of more like the, it was your job, you were paid to do it, keep going. Right? So know that, that, that the struggle is real. Affirmation is not my strong suit. But, but men, do you honor your wife in front of your children? Do they know that she is more important than any of them to you? That she is your treasure, that she is your joy? Do you honor your wife? Yes, even when she may not deserve it. Uh, For both men and women, how do you speak about one another in the public sphere? Uh, When you're you're in a gathering um, of people, do you commit to only speak what is good? Or are you you constantly uh, attacking, sniping, criticizing? How do you speak to your spouse in the public sphere? All of these things talk about the nature of a supportive partnership. Um, the Proverbs go on, right? They say something about a quarrelsome wife. Again, quarrelsome, quarrelsome husband is equally damaging, right? In chapter 21, we hear that it's better to live in a corner of your roof than in the house with a quarrelsome wife. Or it's better to live out in the desert than in the house with a quarrelsome wife, right? With a combative, uh, with a combative spouse. So the home, instead of being that place of security and rest is instead a place of constant, uh, of constant nagging or constant quarreling. That's not how it ought to be. Um, Proverbs 19 talks about how the, the nagging of a wife is like dripping water, right? like, a, like a leaky roof. Not only is it annoying, but it's also destructive. Right? It, 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 it is destructive to the house itself. Uh, so... How do we, what, what do we do about that? What's the alternative? Well, let's turn over to Proverbs 31. It's interesting that Proverbs finishes the whole book with this poem about the ideal wife. And we're going to uh, refer back to this chapter several times because there are many qualities here that, um, are, um, that come out in the rest of Proverbs. But we see there in Proverbs 31.10, he says, an excellent wife. That, that phrase, the excellent wife. Um, that same word for excellent is used to refer to, uh, when it 
talks about men, talks about men of courage in battle, right? So it talks about men of valor. So here we're talking about a woman of valor, a valiant woman, a noble woman, a courageous woman. So this is kind of an aside, and you've heard me say this before, but oftentimes one of the criticisms lobbed at Christianity is that it's uh, paternalistic or it's chauvinistic, right? That it favors men because it talks about things like submissiveness. But nothing about this Proverbs 31 woman would uh, indicate that she is a weakling, uh, right? It's not, it's not the idea of barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, Okay. This is, a, this is a strong woman. She is a generous woman. She is a hard work. She's the kind of wife that Solomon tells his sons to go and find. This is, this is the kind of woman that, uh, that we are to look for. And so it's places like these that uh, when we have that criticism about the Bible that it's paternalistic or chauvinistic, very quick to go to places like this and say, no, the Bible actually talks very counterculturally about, about women. Because in, right in, in the days of the Bible, Old and New Testament, in both cultures, women were primarily seen as, as property, right? Good for either uh, children or sex. And that was, that was the place in cooking, right? That was the place that they held in society. But the Bible doesn't speak that way about women, right? It gives, it gives women honor and dignity. Uh, and so we should as well. All right, so a, an excellent wife who can find, right? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trust in her. It's interesting, everywhere else in the Bible, when we talk about trust, um, we're told to not trust in anything or anyone but the Lord. This is one place where a person is told to trust in someone else, right? That speaks to the supportive nature of a wise marriage, that this man is able to trust his wife. His life is in her hands. He, he trusts her with everything that he has. He will have no lack of gain, no lack of spoil. The word there is actually what, what you would get from someone in battle. And so it almost speaks to the uh, courageous, um, we might even say warrior nature of a wife, right, who secures spoil for her husband. She does him good. And not harm all the days of her life. I think that if I were to, to camp out there and just pray that for my marriage. That I would do good to my wife and not harm all the days of my life. That that right there would just, that in itself would be a rich treasure trove. We see that her husband is known in the gates. He's a man of honor. He sits among the elders of the land. So that speaks to the leadership of the husband. But that doesn't mean that the wife is squashed and kept sidelined. And we see how her family praises her in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Gentlemen, may we talk about our wives in that way. And then finally, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain or beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I don't think it's any accident that Proverbs finishes the same way that it begins, with the fear of the Lord. What is it that makes this woman who she is? 
And for that matter, what is it that makes a good man what he is? It's the fear of the Lord. It's a right relationship first with God. Now, the danger about speaking, uh, the danger of speaking about marriage in such glowing terms uh, is that we give the impression that it is the ultimate relationship. And that it is the relationship that will provide everything that we need. And while marriage is good, we also know that marriage is fallen. Right? What we see in Genesis 3.16 is that fallen marriage looks more like a battleground for control and manipulation uh, than an encouraging friendship. And so what happens, right, when we're, right, we hear all these verses and we go, oh man, I'm fail my marriage is a failure i don't even i don't even know right so we can we can hear all of this and kind of fall into one of two ditches either we avoid marriage or if we're married we just avoid the real sacrifice that leads to intimacy right we we protect ourselves by fleeing from commitment or if you're young and uh, you're not married yet maybe say hey that is not worth it Right? We protect ourselves, we try to shield ourselves from, uh, from that commitment, from moving towards it. Or, the other ditch we can fall into is we use marriage for our own ends. Uh, we use marriage to satisfy ourselves. So husbands, in a number of ways, can seek to dominate wives. And wives, in a number of ways, can seek to manipulate husbands. And we're back to that business contractual arrangement. Or... Right? We treat marriage as the ultimate source of satisfaction in our lives. So how do we avoid those two ditches? Right? And how do we begin to live into the reality of wisdom that the Proverbs talks about? Well, we need to see that marriage is not ultimate. Marriage is not the end of the story. It's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. Listen to what Francis Schaeffer says his book true spirituality uh, Schaefer was a, a pastor and apologist who lived in switzerland he says the trouble with human relationships is that man without god does not realize that all men are sinful and so he hangs too much on his personal relationships and they crush and break no love affair between a man and a woman has ever been great enough to hang everything on but when I'm a creature in the presence of God and I see that the last relationship, the ultimate relationship, is with an infinite God and these human relationships are among equals, I can take from a human relationship what God meant it to provide without putting the whole structure under an intolerable burden. I can enjoy that which is beautiful in a relationship without expecting it to be perfect. So in other words, you and I, the marriage is good, but you and I were made for an ultimate relationship with an infinite God. And the way that we get that relationship is through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that, how does that empower you to love your wife well? How does that empower you to love your husband well? I want you to think about this. Does Jesus save you because you're beautiful? Does Jesus save you because you are lovely? Does Jesus save you because you bring a whole lot to the table? No. No. 
Jesus saves you to make you beautiful. That's what Ephesians 5 says. He saves us so that he can clean us up, so that he can make us holy. Jesus comes to us, right, like while, while we're still in the gutter, and he pulls us out of the gutter. And as Zach said, right, he gives us a, his robe of righteousness. He dresses us. He puts us in his wedding dress, and he presents us to himself. That's what the gospel says. So when I realize that Jesus loves me completely, I don't have to bleed my relationship dry. I don't have to expect something out of you that only Jesus can provide. And when I'm not expecting something out of you that only Jesus can provide, now I can love you freely. Now I can sacrifice freely. I can give myself away. Why? Because I have nothing to lose. Jesus has given me everything. So take heart. If your marriage is not the ideal, welcome. Right? Jesus not only gives us the grace uh, that forgives us and makes us new, but he also gives us the grace to empower us to live new lives. So if you've heard something this morning and you, and you are despairing, let me encourage you to run to Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to love your spouse the way he does. And then on the other side of that, maybe your spouse isn't everything you wish that she was. Maybe your, maybe your spouse isn't everything you wish that uh, he was, right? Let me encourage you. Again, we can't speak to every single need in the room. But let me encourage you to take those things to Jesus and ask Jesus to give you that satisfaction of heart, to give you that joy that only he can provide. And then that frees you up to serve them even when they don't serve you back, even when he doesn't take the trash out. That's okay. Jesus has been taking your garbage out for a long time, and he'll keep doing it, right? So trust Jesus with the imperfections of your spouse and trust Jesus with your own. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died and rose again to make us beautiful. You died and rose again because you love us and you marry yourself to us so that we can be yours forever. Lord, for those of us who struggle in marriage, would you give us your grace to forgive our spouses when they don't live up to our expectations? Uh, Lord, would you also correct our expectations as they probably are either unrealistic or uncommunicated? Lord, would you, for those uh, who are putting off marriage or afraid of marriage or uh, have been wounded by marriage, God, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would meet them in that distress. Lord, for those who are single uh, and who are looking to be married, Lord, I pray that you would correct their perceptions of what marriage is, give them the ideal, and then help them to look for the ideal um, and to also try to be the ideal, Lord, to, to, to trust your spirit to mold and shape uh, us so that we would be good servant spouses of another. Father, we, uh, we pray all these things in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.